This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hello, and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Emmy Birch, and today you're listening to episode 99 with Dr. Bertie's Berry. Dr. Berry is a sociologist, and in today's discussion, she explains how she found that vocation, that purpose in life. Through sharing her story, you're going to learn how if you walk with purpose, you're going to find your destiny. We talk about what it was like to be the host of a nationally syndicated TV show, how you write books, how you find your perfect routine. By the end of this episode, you are going to be motivated to figure out how to just show up every day because by showing up, you'll find that destiny. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Bertie Berry. Today on the Illuminate Podcast, we are welcoming the one and only Dr. Bertie Berry. Hello, my friend. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. So good to see you always. It is so good to spend time with you. I'm thrilled to introduce the listeners to Dr. Berry. Will you tell everyone listening who is Dr. Bertie Berry? Oh, well, first of all, I'm just Bertie to anybody who loves me. Only my children have to call me doctor. Um, <laughs> And they're not doing a good job of it. I'm a sociologist, an author, a mother, a lecturer, a storyteller, um, and a story curator. I am uh, active in my community, in my church. I'm a postulant to become a deacon in the Episcopal Episcopal Church, which is, like, really cool. Um, I do all kinds of amazing things because sociology allows me to do so. Uh, in this time of COVID, I've learned new skills and new ways of working and sharing. And one morning I got up and I asked myself, what do I know extremely well and what does my community need? And I made a list of things that I knew in my sleep. And, um, and then I started getting calls from people saying that they were depressed or in distress and what could they do and could they talk to me? And so I started sharing stories every single day during the pandemic. And those stories to my five, six friends became millions of people all over the world. And um, we were making masks at the same time, which is why I recorded them because I couldn't talk on the phone. And so and we've made over 30,000 masks and distributed them. And so I'm also a sewist. And uh, so, yeah, there's so many things that I do. I'm a mother and grandmother. Yeah, I do many things, but I'm one one person just striving to be um, whatever God calls me to be as a child of God. How did you find sociology? Why sociology? That seems like that was the first point of the splintering of the amazing things you do. Yeah, that is, I think if I hadn't become a sociologist, I still would have been a sociologist. It's a way of seeing the world. I had 
I wanted to be a chemical engineer. I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, and I think the DuPonts probably <laughs> put it in the drinking water of every child. <laughs> so um, I wanted to be a chemical engineer, and they had a summer program where you could go and work your dream job. And at that point, I was already working, cleaning houses and banks. But to have a job that was something that you dreamed to be or dreamt to be was was pretty amazing. And so um, I got dressed. I saved all my cleaning money and bought a new little outfit. I spent all night braiding my hair in perfect, perfect cornrows. And I appeared on the job where I was going to work with this chemical engineer and his they were called secretaries at the time. His secretary said, your hair is not professional. You shouldn't be wearing braids. And I had on this beautiful linen blouse. And she said, you didn't iron your blouse. And I'm like, it's linen. <laughs> and so she sent me away from the job that I dreamt of. And I, I went back to the job distribution site where they were giving the jobs out. And all the jobs were taken except for a job as a file clerk in the um in the food stamp office. And so um, I walked in and I said, well, I'll take it, you know, and I, I went in there and this woman was like, oh my gosh, look at your hair is so perfect. And she took me around and showed me to everybody and just made all over my hair. And my job was just to file away the, the applications and the processed applications. And I would finish so quickly because when you work before school and after school cleaning houses and banks, you know how to work hard. And mm -hmm. so my job would be done and I'd start reading the files. And I would notice, um, because there were multiple social workers there, and I would notice um, that some applications should have been approved and weren't, and some that were should have been. And mm -hmm. so I started making a list of these things. And I didn't know, I wasn't going to say anything because I didn't think I was supposed to be reading these files. And one day the, the manager saw me in the, in the file room in a chair reading and writing. And she said, what are you doing? And I was like, eh. you know, I just kind of said what was happening. And she said, oh. So she put me in charge of um, reading through to check, cross-check. They didn't have, you know, the computers weren't available then um, to cross-check and tabulate and, and, and just kind of review them. And so she said, you know, I'm a social worker, but you're a sociologist. And it, I, I had never heard the word before that. Never? And, no. I was, I was probably... 14 and you know they weren't as known as they are now so most kids you know if you look back at a kid's high school yearbook and see what it was that they wanted to be probably 80 percent or something else i mindset sociologist and to you know to want to be a uh uh, research social scientist at that age was a big thing. Mm -hmm. And so I had my eye on that. And, and I thought I wanted to be a social worker because those people loved me so much and the work was so fun and looking at it. And, you know, she's like, no, you're a sociologist. So it was pretty cool to be able to, um, to be 
steered in the direction after what your heart thinks it wants and needs to have some a disappointment turn into the real appointment. That's so beautifully said. You you took advantage of a program in your city. You showed up and you didn't let mm-hmm. them tear you down. How did that feel? Were mm-hmm. you, you it seems like you just in how you told that story, you just showed up for the next opportunity, but in the moment was it hard? You know, I in the moment, you're right. Um I I had used my bus pass up. This was extra, right? So I had to walk back to that office. And when I got there, the woman said, well, I have a, you know, I'll give you a bus pass to use to get to the job, which wasn't a short distance. So that entire walk in my mind, I'm playing over these things this woman has said to me. And I know that they're not right. And I know that it's wrong. And I know, you know, and you're playing it over. And and I think that the woman who's in charge is going to call them and tell them, and you let her have this job. And this is the way I think it's going to play out. And it's like, I'm so sorry that happened. And we don't have control of the jobs. We just asked them to give us jobs and places. She did later on, I found out that she did, you know, give that woman a piece of her mind, but she wasn't letting me know that. Um, But, you know, uh, the food stamp office was not like, that's not chemical engineer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not, that's not fun. That's not glamorous. That's not... But it was, you know, uh, I wanted a job that was going to let me look at something else. Mm-hmm. My sister had said, if all you see is what's outside this window, you'll never know how far your life can go. you got to have a bigger window. And so I didn't want to just look at the jobs that I had. I wanted to look at something else. And so I, did, I, I didn't allow it to say, well, you know, go back to your cleaning job. That's all you can do. Um this was a different job. It was in an office. Mm-hmm. And that was something, you know, in the early 70s. That was a thing mm-hmm. that, oh, it's an office job and you're not cleaning it. Yes. You know, I worked in offices, but I was always cleaning them. How did you get then from that spot? If you were always cleaning and then you got the office job, how did you get to the point where you got your doctorate in sociology? So I um, had this wonderful teacher, Karen Denton. I just think that, you know, um, during the period of enslavement, there are always these station masters for people who were running away. There were station masters along the way. Sometimes something as simple as a community of women would make quilts with the Underground Railroad map mapped into the quilt and hang them on the line. Making a quilt and hanging it on a line was this mm. act of resistance against slavery. And there are always people who can be a beacon of light to somebody who needs hope. And I had an amazing teacher who, you know, I would pray. I would. I went to this Pentecostal church and they'd always said, do you have an unspoken request? And I had two. I wanted my mother to find God and I wanted to go to college. And I never said it out loud because no one in my family had ever been. No cousins, no aunts, no uncle, no one. And so um, it was a prayer. And so my teacher said it out loud. You should go to college. And I was like, she said it out loud. <laughs> so, you know, she got me into a trio program, an upward bound program that was to show me the way. And then um, my, not my counselor, another counselor applied for me. And I ended up wow. 
getting into Jacksonville University. I had no money to go there. And this, my application, which was late and on the desk, when this wealthy benefactor called looking for a student who would swim with the right backing but sink without it, was it just happened. That's a God thing, right? Mm-hmm. So then, you know, there are these amazing teachers who were there and friends who I met along the way, people who I connected with, who were all being the hands of God. They were all being doers of the word. And in doing that, it enabled me to go. Um, you know, I kind of flew through. I won the, won the President's Cup for Leadership. And then, you know, I didn't know there was something beyond there. But one of my professors said, I don't have many students that I would recommend for graduate school, but you're one of them. You're at the top of the oh, list. Wow. And I was like, what? Me? And so I was off to graduate school. And I, I for me, there, it, you know, college and graduate school was such a luxury. It was such a luxury. I, like, I remember thinking, I'm the only one sleeping in this bed. <laughs> I'm the only <laughs> one. Yeah, I became an RA so I could have my own, own bathroom. <laughs> and it was it was such a luxury. And, and yet I'd see these people who could afford it. Um, but they didn't understand the value of it. And so Mm. I took full advantage of the opportunity to learn. And for me, it was PhD or poverty. There wasn't anything in between. I didn't see any other choices. I didn't see quitting and not doing it. So I finished my doctoral work at 26 and, you know, so when I saw you going for your doctorate, it was just like, yes, if anybody should have it, you should have it. This is what should happen. And you went for broke. Yes, that's it. You have to go for broke. You got to go in with both yeah. feet, which is why I love your story. You talk about how you walk with purpose to find your destiny. And even as a young 14-year-old girl in Wilmington, Delaware, that hadn't seen any other you, you literally kept showing up. You went for broke. And look at where it brought you. Yeah. You know, um, the truth of the matter is, I think a lot of people talk about faith. They don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. And I had these very early examples of, if this happened, then anything can happen. <laughs> you believed it. Like I prayed for college and here it is. And I would pray, like I didn't know my father growing up. I didn't know who my father was and anything. And I would pray that, you know, my father would find me and he'd be this rich man and he would put me through college. And, you know, like this is crazy, like wish on the stars at night. And so this rich man puts me through school. He helped put me through school because I also worked and did everything I could. He said, whatever you can't pay for, I will. So I paid for everything that I possibly could pay for. Mm -hmm. And then I paid them back and I I did everything I could. So, and then he became a father to me. Wow. He became my kid's grandfather. He, you know, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. There's gotta be something controlling, directing, guiding, leading, enabling, This says, you know, if you walk with purpose, if you do what your purpose to do and you just keep doing that, you not only 
get to see the destiny moments. You help create them for other people. Mm-hmm. And in creating them for other people, it becomes this another new thing. Like I, I, my granddaughter is five and I drive her to school every morning. And, you know, I listen to Frozen. <laughs> you got to leave the crack of dawn because, you know, the traffic where I am, if you want to get ahead of it. And all of that is going on. And it is one of those, the simplest things that I have enough faith to know down the road that she's going to do and be and see amazing things by simply doing this tedious, you know, if I hear, <laughs> another time, another time. But I know I'm going to hear it again tomorrow. And just doing that day in, day out, because it's what I'm purposed to do. It's fantastic. You show up knowing that if you keep showing up, if you keep marching forward with what your purpose is, that you will reach your destiny. You know, destiny is, there's not one. You create these destiny moments um, that happen regularly. For me, sometimes, for everybody all the time, and you're you're helping to create the ripple that makes those things happen. Mm-hmm. So there are things that are just to be, and me doing what I'm just supposed to do helps see those happen in the universe. So I have a question. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was. No, no, no go I'm ahead. I'm excited to ask your sociology side of this. So let's say someone's listening and they don't know. What's the next right step? Or as they would say on Frozen, do the next best thing or whatever that song is on Frozen. But what, yeah. how do you find, if you're, if you're not feeling like you're showing up for a purpose, how do you find that spot? Yeah. I think that the it, – it's interesting you asked that. I'm working on a book with a woman named Susan Landrum, and, and it's on a rule of life. Um, when you enter into um, – study seminary study for holy orders you start you pull back this veil and there's all this these treasures and mysteries inside and you're like how come i didn't know this before what is this and how is this and so when you're going in for ordination you need to create a rule of life that says these are the things that i'll do every day to help me develop my spiritual self right so we're actually creating a book that looks at spirit, mind, and body and looks at how to create your own blueprint for daily living to see what those things are and how it works. And when I first started doing this, you know, I would do different things every morning, every afternoon, every evening, and then, in, you know, into the night. I knew my body clock. I was really well aware of it. Many people were not. There's a great book that tells you how to figure that out. When by Daniel, Daniel Pink. Pink. Mm-hmm. So good. I love that. I love that book. Right? Yes. So good. Um, so I knew what those things were, but then I started trying different orders of my morning and different things in the day and what have you. You know, by six o'clock in the morning, I've typically <laughs> done my daily prayers, the daily readings. I've exercised. I've done a breathing treatment. I have made a dress, I have recorded a story and posted it before six and ironed my granddaughter's uniform, (laughs) you know, 
But that's my daily routine and finding where it was. And do I exercise first or do I exercise after prayers? How do I finding that Mm -hmm. and then doing my routine every day. And then the afternoon I'm doing prayers and I'm doing a one mile walk and I'm doing finding my routine heightens not only my energy, uh, it heightens my mental capacity. It heightens my physical capacity. I have MS and I suffered a pretty serious head injury that went untreated. And so my short-term memory has spaces that are not fun. And I can get into real sadness around it if I don't guard my health Mm -hmm. and guard my well-being this way. So not only am I building my spiritual self, I am um, reintegrating my spirit, mind, and body so that I get to true wellness. And I think, um, you know, as, as unfun as it sounds, finding your discipline, finding your way of, you know, doing anything. Like I had a really disciplined um, way of study that, you know, my friends would look at me and you don't have to do all of that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I always looked like I was playing in college to anybody Mm -hmm. looking at me outside of my crack of dawn hours. I looked like I was playing and I was because I love learning and it's joyful to me. But, you know, when you have a routine Mm -hmm. that works for you and the people around you without diminishing anything else, it allows you to see What's next? How do I do this? What do I, you know, and then you're also leaving room for Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, did you think you were going to get married and then get a doctorate and then do a podcast Mm -hmm. and then, you know, no, you did everything you're supposed to be doing, leaving room for God to say, hey, I've got some opportunities over here. Mm -hmm. And then you get to choose. There's no greater gift. I love how you're phrasing it because then you don't have that fear of missing out. Because if you're showing up in whatever the routine that makes you your best self, the things will happen. Um, Can we talk about some of the things that have happened? Because I really want to hear about when you hosted the Bertie Sperry show. What was it like to host your very own nationally syndicated TV show? You don't know when you're in it. Ooh. You know, you know, you know. Wait, say that again. Someone might need to hear that. You you might be in it and need to hear this again. Say it again. You don't know when you're in it. You don't you don't know you're doing something that's like that incredible or you know, you just to me, I was traveling all over. I was doing lectures in the day and stand up comedy at night. And I was, you know, traveling from one city to the next to the next. And I was like, and people were like, oh, my God, everybody should hear you. This is amazing. And for me, it was so I hired an agent and I hired some people and a publicist. And it was like, find me something so I don't have to get on a plane and drive and go. And and I can just be in one place and reach more people. Mm. That was the purpose. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. And you're in a studio doing this work. And you don't know that you're talking to millions of people. You don't feel it that way. Okay. You know, the the executives came and said, you're the fastest selling show in syndication. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. Let's just do the show. 
And so it was highly successful. It was a really great show. It just kept getting better. And at the end of the season, I was taken out to lunch by an executive who did one of the nastiest and meanest things that have ever been done to me that I don't want to go into. But um, at the end of that said, you know, if you'll cut your dreadlocks off and wear a wig so you can look normal, we will renew your show, give you a million dollar signing bonus and um, renew the show for three years if you'll do those things. And I went away and I was, well, you know, the other thing that happened was like, did that just happen? Was it because I'm black or because I'm a woman or, you know, there was, there was the N word in there and all kinds of other stuff. But I, I took a few days and I thought about it and I prayed about it and I talked to my family and I said, if it's worth a million to them for me to not be myself, it should be worth more to me to be dedicated to who I am. Mm. And so, you know, I just, I walked away, but doing it was fun. It was cool. You, you know, like even now I went to breakfast the other morning and this woman was waving at me and I was like, hi. And I didn't recognize her. And she's like, hi, Dr. Bertice Berry. I was like, oh, you listen to the story. <laughs> so you don't realize that you're out there. It's that, right? Um, one day I was in a store when I was doing the talk show and the guy checking me out said, don't you have an assistant to do this for you? I said, yeah, but she's out shopping for herself right now. <laughs> so you don't, you don't ever know you're making history when you're making it. You don't ever know your um, being this huge example when you're doing it, you're just doing what you do. And, you know, if you do it with joy, mm -hmm. it echoes. Yes. If you do it, I'm writing that one down. If you do it with joy, it echoes. <laughs> after the show, when you, did you write your books before or after the TV show? Cause you've written a handful of books and you're working on this new I've one. Just, I've written 11 books and I've ghost written 30. Whoa. Um, so, um, after the show, I didn't know what I was going to do or whatever. And it was like, well, you know, I've traveled for work and lectured everywhere. I, it's not like I've ever been without work. I've been working since I was 12. So, uh, I got a call. I was in Brazil and I said, I need to write. When I get back home, I'm going to find a literary agent. Well, when I got back home, the first message I had was from a literary agent. Wow who had read some articles that I'd written in uh, the Chicago Tribune in the woman news section. And I ended up with um, a book deal, a huge book deal before I had ever written a word of it. Whoa. That's not for people yeah. who have never done a book deal. That's not normally how that works. It's not how it works. No, you, you've got to have a book. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to have a book completed. Pretty much. And you've got to have an agent. Yes. And, you know, you don't get, you don't, they don't take any unsolicited submissions. This just doesn't, just doesn't happen. But you were showing up. So, yeah. Yeah. And at that time, I had agreed to raise my sister's three children. I only had three at the time. Two more came. I now have five adopted kids. So, again, this showing up is rewarded always. 
and it's you know <laughs> you can you can think what is gonna happen to me how am I gonna happen to me do what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. and it's rewarded mm-hmm. and don't do it for the reward do it because it's joyful mm-hmm. show up every day yeah so tell me about stories because I feel like whenever you share your stories on Facebook and your different Instagram accounts and Twitter I have all of those linked in the episode notes how does a story oh, that yeah. you're experiencing change lives? How can someone listening take the story of what they're going through or what they've been through and change lives? The beautiful thing about story and metaphors, why the Bible is all story, metaphor, it's the oldest form of communication because we're literally mentally, neurologically, physiologically wired for it to work that way. When you hear a story, your mind automatically goes to the story that connects for you. And it helps you pull the points of those from those points of connection to what it is that you need to hear and how you need to hear it. Sociologists were the original scientific storytellers. Um, and sociological story, we moved away from it because we wanted to be seen more as a hard science. So we started crunching a lot of data but we're moving back to becoming better storytellers, right? Because you don't have to um, you don't have to push facts when you're telling a story. The brain does it; it pulls naturally. If I throw up 52 slides and graphs and charts, you may sit there and try to find a way to connect. But with that story, your mind automatically goes to and finds the point, the file that is holding whatever aspect of that story that connects for you and it enables you to pull the lesson that you need to um, to see. We are wired for narrative and we, what wires together, fires together. We connect through story. So it is um, incredibly powerful tool and I wish, I hope more people learn it I'm doing a lot of work around teaching it and trying to encourage others to use it. You know, for a long time, people thought story was nothing, but, you know, advertisers will always tell you, she with the best story wins. Story, you, you, you learn to tell a story, your stories well, then you can't go wrong because you don't, we're wired for that. The work has already been done. Mm. Wiring and connecting and firing, it just screams community, especially in a time where community is so interesting and you have to actually seek it out. We've created a community on Facebook called Stories to Tell with Dr. Bertice Ferry. And there's four over 4,000 people there who share stories. Mm. And it may be from something that I shared that morning or something that someone shared on the page earlier. And people, when they first came in, they said, why does this feel so safe and loving and amazing and our story? And yeah, we had to reverse engineer out a lot of the chaos that you find in social media. But for the most part, because people were sharing openly and listening without judgment, it has created an amazing community of people story just does that there's power behind the stories yeah 
and the yeah. stories happen because you show up, you walk with purpose, and it takes you to your many destinies. Because you've said that before, there's not just one. Yeah, yeah. You know, this yeah. is this is exactly the conversation I personally needed because it's so interesting when the semester starts back and everyone goes back to school. It's almost like a, a start of the year again, a January 1st, and engaging in what is my purpose, why am I showing up to work every day is a question that I'm always asking to make sure I'm showing up and doing something that matters. And what you've said today is so helpful in that regards. Show up, know your routine, learn to tell the story, and the connections and the destiny will happen. Yeah. There's a brilliant psychologist named Naeem Akbar who says, every morning when you wake up, ask yourself, why me here now? Mm. God will do the rest. Why me here now? I love it. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all of your things. I have four end of show questions to ask you, but this has been so yes. fun unpacking your story and spending quality time with you. All right. We've already talked about Daniel Pink and his book, When. Um, yes. What is another book that you've recently read or the best book that you would recommend to someone listening? I, you know, I, it's funny. I don't recommend books unless I know people. But and and I'm in it because I, I think like sometimes I read in crazy ways. And I, I don't I don't mean to say crazy. I mean, uh, unusual ways. And it takes me around and through. And I like to know what people like so that I can re recommend to them based on what they like. Because if you're reading something new based on what you already enjoy, you're more inclined to continue mm. and to do more of that. But I just read um, The Heart of Christianity by Borg, and that blew my whole head up. Um, one of the most influential books that I read this year was um, Robert E. Lee and Me by Ty Sigley. Really powerful book that shows it's not just uneducation but miseducation mm -hmm. that has helped to foster systemic racism read anything by uh paulie murray paulie murray um song in a weary throat is one that is is beautiful i think this year also maybe i read it it was last year i read Ed educated which you can't go wrong mm -hmm. her story echoes mine in so many ways um, that that is just a beautiful, beautiful book. But I also, you know, just read a bunch of political books because <laughs> I just do. And 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 you know, so I'm gonna read three books at a time. I used to read six books a week. Wow. But after the head injury, I spent two years where I couldn't read at all. Oh, so that would be devastating. Um, it was yeah, it was like not being able to understand the language of the world. It was. It was really devastating. But so, yeah, Robert E. Lee and me, um, The Heart of Christianity, uh, get Richard Rohr's daily devotionals. Yeah, that's good stuff. Oh, I love it. I'm, I've got all those titles down. Who or what yeah. is illuminating or inspiring you right now? I'm really inspired by everyday people. Um but somebody I thought of recently who just gives me chills when I think of him is my UPS delivery guy. Yes. He brings treats for my dogs. Oh. And 
His job is to deliver packages, right? My little dog gets in the truck and won't get out. And so he has to throw a handful of treats to get him out so that he can turn his truck around and go. But I think about that. His job is just to deliver packages, Mm -hmm. but he delivers joy to my aging dogs. Mm. And I'm so inspired by that. That's a beautiful story. Yeah, this idea that I can do my job, but I can also do something beyond that that makes somebody's day better. Mm. That in and of itself is a nugget of wisdom right here at the end of the episode. What's an Mm. organization or something that you would like us to illuminate? I really would like to illuminate the work of Christ Church Episcopal in Savannah, Georgia. They, um, their parish house has a feeding program that feeds um, 250 people a day. But what really is amazing is without a cost to anybody, they provide showers and laundry. Mm-hmm. I saw a man one day with his cart and it was full of his, his stuff And I said, are you okay? Do you need anything? And he said, no. He said, listen to this. He said, I just did. I took a shower and all my clothes clean at once. He said, life can't be better. And I was like, I know that. So yeah, they do amazing work. They do, they're involved in prison work and dentistry work and um, programs for kids. They're involved in a bunch of things. And you know, sometimes you want to talk about, uh, you know, the individual programs, but that church is doing the work. They didn't wait for people to come and say during COVID, this is my need. They went out and made sure every member was okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's um, rather remarkable and not what you would typically see. But I, I like what they do. I do too. I love it. We will definitely illuminate Christ Church Episcopal in Savannah. And I'll have to see if I can get Emmaus House on here. I'll go reach out to Ariana and see if we can get her to come talk cool. on the podcast. Very cool. Final question. What is your one message to send to the world? My one message is to just go within. Howard Thurman said, you must be still and listen to the, for the sound of the genuine. It comes from within. If you do not find the sound of the genuine, you will always find yourself dancing on the ends of strings that someone else is pulling. So as much as you know, the world needs us, the world needs us to go inside and do the work on ourselves first, start with that universe, and then work outwards. This was beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Bertice Berry. Thank you. It was a lovely conversation. Thank you, Emmy. You are amazing and such a beacon, and I love you. Why me? Why here? Why now? Because you are the only you there is, and you never know when you will start that ripple effect. I hope that you have found joy in listening to this conversation with Dr. Bertice Berry. It really is an honor to be one of your co-hosts. If you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to share and tag us, the Illuminate Podcast, on social media. If you want to help us more directly, we would love and appreciate you to rate and review us, believe it or not. Those reviews and ratings really help us not just gain new listeners, but find more epic guests just for you. Whatever you're doing today, I hope that you feel illuminated, and I hope you feel supported, because you are so important, my friend. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.